0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. We're going to get the latest meat export numbers, some encouraging numbers. Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, will be joining us with those. And we have lots of reaction to more information on the 30 by 30 plan by the Biden administration. They're to conserve 30% of the nation's land and waters by the year 2030. Now they've renamed it. They're now calling it the America the Beautiful initiative. And we're going to get reaction. We'll talk with Caitlin Glover with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And we'll talk with Coleman Garrison with the National Association of Conservation Districts for their reaction. But we'll start it off with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, joins us. Zippy, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you, Mike. always look forward to talking to you.
0: Well, we have uh, some more details. And the... Information we have on the now-called America the Beautiful Initiative is that it will um, be stressing the voluntary aspects of conservation, something that agriculture has certainly been uh, very supportive of and pushing for. Uh, They're talking about requesting additional capacity at the uh, National Natural Resources Conservation Service to be able to provide technical assistance. Uh, What do you think of uh, what we're seeing so far about this plan?
2: Well, you know, we're very appreciative that they uh, acknowledged all our concerns. I've had several meetings with them that uh, gave me the opportunity to express those concerns, and then we were uh, really pleasantly surprised that it recognized all the work that agriculture has been doing in the past, and and uh, and so we're 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 uh, excited, uh, pleased, uh, but still very concerned because it's short on on uh, Pacific. Because we really don't know what uh, what all these principles are, are going to require for us to do, and that that makes us nervous. So we're looking for them to drill down and tell us a little more in details of what this means.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. We have more information than we had, but we're still not getting all the details of just how this will work. Right?
2: That's exactly right. You know, our, our main thing was for everything that you know that's required of us be voluntary and incentive as I talked to uh, secretary billsack uh, you know he talks about trying to create another revenue stream for farmers and and in this uh, in this 30 by 30 that might uh, provide that but you know the, the one thing that we really want to make sure that we protect or two things one that is our private property rights uh, and our privacy rights and also the right for our ranchers out west to continue to uh, work at, on, on those uh, 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 U.S. forestry lands and the BLM lands.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that. You, as you said, concerns about private property rights. uh, Where could this, uh, you think, uh, maybe infringe upon those? Uh, What what areas of concern or red flags would you have?
2: Well, you know, once they get to writing the rules to it, you know, we want to make sure that uh, these they use existing programs that's in uh, USDA. Uh, and also provide additional technical service to help us put those practices on the ground. Uh, but we don't ever want it to bleed over into uh, requiring anything has to do by 30 by 30 to re- uh, be able to participate in the, uh, uh, the Title I uh, part of the farm bill, being crop insurance and some of the risk management things. there. We don't want them to bleed together. We want to keep, them, keep those parts separate conservation separate from title one and you know no, it hasn't they haven't hinted that that would happen in my conversation with Secretary Vilsack he's assured me that he is there to, to protect uh, the American farmer and to protect the title one programs uh, so I don't you know I'm just concerned about what might happen in the future uh, Tom Vilsack uh, uh, does not concern me I think he has his focus on what he needs to do to help agriculture and rural communities
0: When the goal is to conserve 30% of the nation's land and waters by 2030, do we have a a firm number on where we're at now? I mean, how close to 30% are we right now? How far do we have to go?
2: No, that's one of the things they are uh, proposing, that they create a uh, a nationwide atlas, uh, and that atlas would help them determine uh, what was being conserved across America. And we know that, you know, when you start creating a report like that to generate every, every year and you're going to also include uh, private private lands on that atlas, then we start worrying about the privacy of our farmers uh, being jeopardized. So that when I said privacy, uh, uh, protecting our uh, private property rights and our privacy of our farmers is very important to us.
0: There's kind of a debate, too, over how much money should be spent for conservation. Uh, Senator Stabenow, chair of the Senate Ag Committee, said the $1 billion included for conservation in the infrastructure proposal was woefully inadequate. Uh, What are your thoughts on this push for conservation uh, and getting it funded?
2: Well, I think it is very inadequate. I think that if we're going to depend on existing programs, Programs and, and USDA for conservation uh, then you know all of us in our communities in our rural communities have participated with with those programs and you know uh, here in my country uh, cow and chicken country in Georgia you know there's a lot of uh, desire to be participants of uh, the EQIP program and there's always way more applications than there is money you know so if they want those programs to be put on the ground to conserve lands and waters or, uh, across America they got to make sure they fund it to a level that that invites farmers to come and voluntarily participate.
0: The goal seems to be to attract 4 million acres more into the CRP. Do you think that is doable with um, highly erodible land without taking away or trying to compete with the markets to get uh, uh, more productive land into the program?
2: I think that's going to be very difficult. I'm, and we're hoping that it will take, uh, more, uh, less valuable productive land out. Uh, but you know, we are, we're always concerned and we realize that the, their desire, what they're trying to do is still within the law, uh, that's out there that's uh, dictating that in the farm bill. But, uh, we also are concerned about the competition, uh, to other producers, uh, running the rent price up. Making it so competitive that we can't get young farmers to be able to rent land and get in, uh, expand their businesses. So we, yes, we have concerns, but I think within the law that they can still do that. But can they take out uh, highly erodible land or less valuable, less productive land and meet that goal? I'm not sure of that. Uh, we'll have to leave that up to the economists to decide that. But we, surely, we hope they don't take good productive land out.
0: Zippy, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you very, very much, and take care.
2: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity, and we're going to continue to work with this administration to make sure this 30 by 30 helps our rural communities and keeps our farmers strong.
0: Very good. Thanks, Zippy. Thank you, Mike. Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. So some encouraging language being used to describe this uh, America the beautiful plan, but still questions remain. We'll get more reaction later from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the National Association of Conservation Districts. But up next, encouraging meat export numbers. We'll get those here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. When it
3: comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected. Which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward
1: slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information. Farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. With Cinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's
1: farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now,
0: back to Mike Adams. Well, each month we check in with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U S meat export federation for the latest uh, meat export numbers. And Dan, the, the latest numbers are very encouraging.
5: Yes. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, they definitely are. The uh, month of March came through very strong, actually record breaking for both beef and pork. And I think the real exciting thing about it is that the growth was pretty broad based across several countries on both species. So, uh, um, and, and quite frankly, January and February underperformed a bit, so it was good to see March come in strong.
0: So, not just China's buying, then, right?
5: Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at pork side, and uh, you know, China was actually down slightly. It was still a good month, but, but down as we've been talking about. Um, but you know, you look at Japan it had eleven percent growth year on year. Mexico was up five. Central America region was up 50 percent. So, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of uh, countries contributing to the cause. And and on the beef side, um, you know, you've got China, of course, is the story on beef. We are 14,000 metric tons. That supply chain is really expanding um, from the integration of the China agreement in March of last year, a year ago. But Korea is up big, and Latin America is coming to life on the beach side as well, uh, Central America, South America, and Mexico. So uh, it's really encouraging to see Latin America starting to come back and come out of the COVID cloud. Uh, tourism, has started, tourism is not normal, but it is starting to come back strong, so we're encouraged by that.
0: We usually look at the overall numbers, um, and then we go, you know, whether it's pork or beef or whatever. But what about... Getting a little more specific, what is the story when we look at what cuts of meat are selling?
5: Yeah, I think um, I think that's, that's also a, a positive. Uh, we have the traditional cuts. Uh, and, and middle meats, for example, are not a traditional export item. That, a lot of those stay here domestically. But, um, you know, you look at items like uh, short plates uh, you, on the beef side. You look at items like uh, rounds on the beef side these are big export items and and really not that popular here. Variety meats on both beef and pork are huge for the export markets. And uh, so I think really, uh, and then the pork side, um, you know, hams are a huge item for the export markets and, uh, uh, you know, the ribs and the bellies tend to stay here domestically. So in that regard, the international market really does complement the domestic market in a lot of ways. But I think uh, to, to further your point you know, the traditional items that these export markets buy, we're seeing diversification. And, uh, you know, shoulder clods and chuck tenders and things like this on the beef side that were, were maybe not so much export items before, really starting to get some traction as well.
0: We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. What about our lamb exports?
5: Yeah, the lamb, lamb was down a bit, but still... You know, we saw quite broad-based uh, uh, movement. Uh, Mexico is the, is the primary market on lamb, and, and that was down, but still pretty strong, at a little over a 1,000 tons in March. And mean uh, the Caribbean, which is most of these markets in the Caribbean are open now, uh, no longer shut down due to COVID. And uh, that's also another mainstay for lamb, so it's encouraging, encouraging to see.
0: So we were off to a bit of a slow start for the year, but these numbers really would seem to be a very positive indicator for what's to come the rest of the year. Would you look at it that way? Are you optimistic still for good growth this year?
5: You know, I am optimistic. I mean, I think the basic supply and demand dynamics, uh, you know, across the world are, are, are strong. And and the the reliance on high-quality imports is also strong, and I don't see that changing. Uh, And some of these developing regions are really starting to show uh, their need for additional imports, you know, places like Colombia, for example, or, you know, Peru, or, or, you know, places like Vietnam, Philippines. Um, That's the good news. The only reservation I have, and this is a significant one, I haven't mentioned it yet, but you know we we set records in march and this is with still a lot of concern around the international uh, logistics supply chain we still have uh, we still have a backup of vessels on the west coast uh we have congestion at the ports we have a shortage of container availability a shortage of chassis to move the containers and and it's not This is a global issue. It's not just the West Coast. The West Coast is is our primary problem, but it's a result of a change in some of the global flows of trade. And uh, and this is a a problem. A lot of, uh, of our exporters cannot get shipments out on time. There's a lot of containers being rolled at the West Coast that should have already been shipped. So what I guess I'm saying is as good as the results were in March, they could have been better. And they probably could have been better in, in January, February because of this issue. So uh, uh, you know, the, the supply and demand side is in good shape. Demand is good globally, or I would say it's very good globally. But we need to work through this logistics issue. And the industry is focused on it. But I just wanted to uh, point that out to your listeners that, uh, that this is, a, is a, a bit of a bogey that we have to overcome.
0: And we've been talking about this for some time now. Is it getting any better? Or are we breaking through that logjam?
5: Well, it probably depends on where you're talking in the U.S. I, I don't, I don't know that it's getting a lot better. It's probably not getting a lot worse either. But uh, the reality is that uh, that bookings are, <clears throat> excuse me, bookings are being delayed and rolled and. Uh, and there is dis- disruption where if you're going out of export you now have to go out of y port and and uh and, and that part is probably still in limbo. Now, the good news is that we have a lot of org- it's not just a beef and pork and lamb issue. This is a general agricultural commodity issue, you know, everything from seafood to cranberries to to meat. So, the industry's focused on this and we are getting a lot of uh uh, a lot of attention in Washington. A lot of attention from the Federal Maritime Commission. So I do think there's a big effort to get this improved. Uh, we just have to stay on top of it.
0: Dan, I'm always asking you about uh, emerging markets. Do you see a market out there that you think we could really see some big growth in this year? Yeah,
5: I think um, I think I think. Uh, Latin America in general is poised for huge growth. I mean, when I say Latin America, I'm talking Mexico, the Central American region, and the South American region. If you remember over the past several months when we've talked, I was really concerned about the lockdown in COVID, and they were one of the last regions to go into lockdown last year. They they really weren't into total lockdown until summer of a year ago, and they were locked tight all the way up until you know. December January of this year and uh, we're starting to see that fall now. we're starting to see uh, you know uh, uh, economies reopening um, the, the, the COVID situations are dramatically improved we're starting to see food service reopen and as I mentioned earlier the tourism is starting to rebound so uh, as we get further down the road later this year I think that whole situation will only improve more and uh And we were seeing growth in Central and South America and Mexico before COVID. So the basic uh, principles are that that there was growth before, but I think coming out of COVID, there'll even be more incentive for growth, especially at food service. So, yeah, that's one region of the world I would say is really poised for a rebound on both – well, on all three of our species: beef, pork, and lamb.
0: And are you able – is your staff able to do more in-person – uh, events, uh, in-store promotions, things like that?
5: Yes, we, um I would say steadily since, uh, the first of the year, we've seen the trend line in that direction. Um, it depends on the market of course, but, uh, I would say there's more markets that are back to doing that than there are that are not. And, uh, you know, Latin Americans want is one where we're very active on the ground. Um, of course people are wearing masks and being careful, but, uh, still, the, the business itself is moving back to more normal. Um, one part of the world that's probably not there yet it would be, uh, you know, Africa and parts of Southeast Asia. They're still a bit behind a curveball. But, uh, you know, you look at Asia, you know, Vietnam, Taiwan, China, these places have been back to normal for quite a while. <clears throat> We're still... We still have a fourth wave of COVID in Korea and Japan, but, but the business side of things is proceeding. We are returning to uh, some of the in-store promotions and things like this, even, even though there are still some COVID lockdowns going on there. So, so yeah, I think the general trend is uh, getting back to uh, a trend line towards normal.
0: Still challenges, but some encouraging signs. Dan, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you.
5: My pleasure, Mike. Thank you.
0: Take care. Dan Holstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Up next, more reaction to the President's 30 by 30 plan, or as they're calling it now, the America the Beautiful plan. We'll talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association next on AOA. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
3: Your harvest is your most important asset. It's like money in the bank, and you can get everything you need to store and protect it through one source, your FS Grain System specialist. With any brand of grain system you choose, your specialist will oversee planning and construction to make sure it's done right. And you can count on FS for maintenance too. Contact your local FS company or visit fsgrainsystems.com. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next.
0: Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better cleaner now. Learn more by visiting bettercleanernow.com brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program.
6: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. In addition to weather, traders are getting lined up for next week's WASDE report. Traders expect the USDA to increase U.S. export estimates on corn and reduce the South American corn production estimate. On the Board of Trade this morning, July corn trading 6.5 cent higher at 725 dollars and a fraction. The September contract up 5.5 cent at $6.51. For soybeans, the August contract trading eleven and a Fraction of a cent higher at 1527. The July contract up a dime at 1579 and a half cent. Four wheats, the Chicago wheat July contract trading four cents higher at 757 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat July up six cents at 732 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat July up five and three quarters at 796 and a quarter. The September contract up a nickel at eight dollars flat for livestock. Thursday's fairly quiet trade may carry over into today. Cattle will be looking for another day of increasing grain prices based on overnight activity. Weekly exports showed net sales of only 16,900 metric tons. That was 28% below the previous week and 18% below the four-week average. The price may be getting a little too high for international appetite. This may make more beef available to the domestic market. Technically, live cattle futures are attempting to build a level of support with futures moving in a fairly sideways pattern over the past two weeks. June live cattle trading 42 cents higher at 115.90. The August contract up 52 at 119.02. For feeder cattle, the May contract $1.75 higher at 132.22. August up a dollar at 144.40. For lean hogs, the June contract down 42 cents at 114.05. The July contract up 15 cents at 114.80. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall.
0: So we have more information on the 30 by 30 plan, the administration's plan to conserve 30 percent of the nation's land and waters by the year 2030. They're now calling it the America the Beautiful Plan. Um, we don't have all the answers yet, don't have all the details, but they're talking about voluntary conservation efforts by farmers and ranchers to play a central key role in this strategy. That's encouraging, certainly. And a lot of the wording and language so far has been encouraging things that agriculture wants to hear, but agriculture also wants to hear more of the details. So I talked about the plan with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and the Executive Director of Natural Resources for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association for her reaction to what we know so far about the America the Beautiful plan. And joining us now is Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and Executive Director of Natural Resources for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Caitlin, good to talk with you again. We're starting to get more details now on the Biden administration's 30 by 30 plan. Uh, They're stressing a uh, voluntary approach, uh, really stressing conservation, also talking about the importance of uh, continuing to use lands, both private and public, as we have been for agriculture. But there are others that are still concerned. There are questions. Uh, some have called it a land grab. Uh, how does the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, with this information you have now, how do you view this plan?
8: So the America the Beautiful plan, which is sort of the, the new branding for this 30 by 30 proposal uh, to, cons- to conserve 30% of lands and waters in the United States by the year 2030, uh, the, the proposal uh, is, was really broad. Uh, Initially, the president set forth some some very basic goals in the executive order, and the report that we see today really is an extension of, of some of those principles, respecting private property rights, supporting voluntary conservation that farmers and ranchers do every day. But Mike, as you know, the devil is in the details. What the report does is, is establish uh, or, or recommend, it, recommend the establishment of a task force. And this interagency working group, this task force, is going to be tasked uh, with uh, creating that baseline. What is conservation? What's going to count toward that conservation? How are we going to work with private landowners to make sure that we're protecting their private property rights, uh, but, but also supporting the good work that they do every day? For public lands, you know, the, the considerations are, are very similar. How is the federal government going to work with stakeholders, farmers and ranchers who have federal grazing permits, for example, and make sure that these conservation goals are real and durable? We were very pleased uh, to see the adoption of a lot of our recommendations in this report uh, and will continue to be engaged in the process going forward. Because what you see today is, is really a first step in a, a much longer process, this 10-year uh, report is is going to be uh it is going to be important and is going to need the leadership of farmers and ranchers in order to be successful
0: so so far so good at first blush they hit on some of the big areas of concerns that you and others have uh, with the plan but as you said the details are going to be the key and they're uh, until you get those details it's hard to say for sure how you feel about the plan then
8: so, so it is. And, and, you know, when you look at high level principles, you can say, yeah, this this sounds pretty good or I might have some concerns for farmers and ranchers, whether you're talking about their private ground uh, state land that they may lease or federal land where you have grazing permits and, and it may surround your property, that involvement and investment is ongoing, regardless of this proposal or, or any others. The the devil is going to be in the details here, and, and ranchers are going to continue to be engaged in this process. USDA, DOI, and the Department of Commerce are going to need to continue to listen to farmers and ranchers. We can't get to conservation. We shouldn't get to conservation goals by monument designations or wilderness designations. This should be a meaningful conservation effort, learning from those who do it best, our farmers and ranchers.
0: Well, let's get into this idea of meeting climate goals that are being set now, and certainly agriculture has a big part to play in this, and I know that from your standpoint, the beef industry uh, certainly plays a big part in this. What is the message that you're trying to get out there about how the beef industry is already helping to achieve these goals?
8: So when we talk about climate goals, often goals are, are set uh, in order to limit something, limit greenhouse gas emissions or, or decrease emissions or or, uh, or methane or greenhouse gases. Uh, but cattle production and, and sheep production have a really good story to tell. Not only has the industry increased efficiency over the last 30 or 40 years and currently represents j- just about 2% of total greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S., um, that's that's only part of the story. You know, when we look at the full spectrum of livestock production, uh, cattle and sheep production in the United States, there's a whole nother slice, another part of the story that's important. And that's the, the environmental stewardship that that offsets, that, that creates good uh, environmental outcomes uh, that, that's not really captured in those greenhouse gas or methane emissions numbers. One of the best examples I can give you, Mike, is of catastrophic wildfire. So we uh, are are very focused on catastrophic wildfire this month because May is National Wildfire Awareness Month. Uh, Just last week, we had a producer, a public lands rancher cattle producer out of California. Dr. Dave Daly, testify in front of a House subcommittee about catastrophic wildfire and and how it's so important to prevent the conditions that make wildfire go from regular wildfire as part of a normal ecosystem to these catastrophic conditions that are so harmful and really very difficult to recover from. This wildfire is an important part of this climate conversation because when you're talking about the other slice of the pie, the, the the greenhouse gas emissions, the particulate matter that's in the air, uh, catastrophic wildfire emits an immense, immense amount of carbon and an immense amount of particulates um, that new studies out of Washington say can be up to 10 times more harmful to human respiration than particulate matters from other sources. Whether you're talking about human health or environmental health for communities in the immediate forest area or across the country, uh, preventing catastrophic wildfire is is really important. Cattle and sheep grazing in these open spaces with these really dense fuels can be a huge part of of breaking up that fuels pattern, breaking up that land management, and, and making sure that wildfire doesn't escalate to those really significant conditions.
0: So practice is already underway to help deal with that what do you see moving forward? Do you see more efforts in that area?
8: So, so I do. One of the things that, that NCBA, PLC, and our partners are really focused on is not just the, the conception of grazing as a permitted use on public lands or, or an agriculture production endeavor on private lands, but really as a tool to create environmental outcomes, good environmental conditions grazing can be can be used and applied in a really targeted way to reduce some of those fine fuels uh, it can be targeted uh, on, on a much larger area to, to have a, a more normal grazing pattern uh, across grasslands as well uh, we you know we we need this this intervention we need this soil turnover we need cattle and sheep on the landscape to have the kind of healthy grasslands and rangelands and forests uh, and and we need more of it we need more additional, more flexibility, additional tools for the agency to to apply grazing. And so that's where we're spending a lot of our time and our focus, not only with the agencies, uh, but also with Congress as well.
0: In your conversations so far with the Biden administration, are they open to what you're talking about? Uh, are they receptive of uh, the message you're 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 bringing to them?
8: They they are receptive because I I think the Biden administration is really trying to look for uh, some of these partnerships, really trying to take advantage of of the good work that already exists and figure out how to leverage that uh, over a larger area. Now, certainly, you know, there uh, is is additional work to be done. Uh, You know, a lot of the career personnel in the agencies have stayed the same, and so we have consistent relationships with them. But we've spent a, a great deal of time with some of the new political appointees some of the nominees and the acting officials as well, um, to, to continue to demonstrate this partnership. We expect them to be good partners with us, of course, uh, but, but you know, that partnership, those conversations goes both ways. You know, regardless of the administration, we take solutions for these lands and these waters, whether it's part of the 30 by 30 or America's Beautiful or part of our normal land management. We take these solutions because we know what works and what works should be leveraged for additional benefit.
0: There's always uh, some debate, some back and forth on the use of public lands, and that will continue, I'm sure.
8: It, it will. Uh, so, you know, at the base, at the at the core of the public lands discussion is this concept of multiple use. Uh, it's it's in law. It's in agency guidance. It's in really the hearts of of cattle and sheep producers uh, across the West. You know, these lands are are managed by the federal government uh, for the benefit of of all Americans. And these these grazing activities, these grazing allotments, um, these ranchers and farmers who who take care of the landscapes by reducing wildfire risk, by supporting wildlife habitat, by making sure that conditions are conducive to recreation and hunting and fishing uh, is is really important to the conversation that we're having today. You know, public lands, it's it's always a balance. It's not all uses in all places, but it's it's the most appropriate uses and, and the best, the optimal use uh, of these landscapes. And from our perspective, we want to continue to make sure that grazing activities make all of these other multiple uses, all of these other uh, stakeholder groups still have access to the landscapes that we all know, love and, and, and take care of
0: those uses and those practices coming more and more into focus now with this push uh, for these climate goals. All right, Caitlin Glover, executive director of the public lands council and executive director of natural resources for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Good to talk with you, Caitlin. Thank you very much.
8: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Adams on agriculture brought to you by Cenex premium diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
9: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block,
3: We know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait kits are limited that's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit
0: in your everyday business operations there are endless things you can't control fuel prices don't have to be one of them with the average price contracting program available at fs we can provide you with a way to reduce the uncertainty of fluctuating fuel prices it's a smart and convenient way for you to know what your fuel costs are going to be so that you can enjoy a little peace of mind The Average Price Contracting Program at FS is just one more way that we can help take your business further. Contact your FS energy specialist today. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, the date of April 27th had been circled on a lot of calendars for some time now. That was the day for the big Supreme Court hearing on the waiver issue for the Renewable Fuel Standard. Well, we had an interesting session before the Supreme Court, as justices had some hard questions, a hard line of questioning for both sides, both the refiners and the biofuels industry. Here to talk about it is Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, what was your takeaway? There seemed to be a good understanding that the law is very clear that this exemption was meant to be temporary for small refiners, and the law does not allow EPA to extend exemptions that have lapsed. So you can't extend something that doesn't exist and there did seem to be a good recognition and appreciation of that argument this program was was always meant to funnel down the number of small refineries that are exempt from these requirements year by year for the information important to rural america join us on adams on agriculture the landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information while major news outlets show decreasing credibility your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: All right so we're getting more reaction to the America the beautiful plan the 30 by 30 plan which so far the language is stressing voluntary conservation efforts by farmers and ranchers and more funding for Conservation Programs and the Natural Resources Conservation Service. So let's get reaction from the National Association of Conservation Districts. Their Director of Government Affairs. Coleman Garrison joins us now. Coleman, thanks for joining us. I, uh, I, I guess that uh, and I assume that you're happy with what you're hearing so far.
10: Yes, good morning. Thanks for having me on. I think the points you just made are two of the points we are pleased to see: the focus on voluntary, locally led conservation efforts, and the conservation programs at NRCS and fsa that help implement that conservation across the landscape and work with farmers, landowners, managers to do that. Uh, so we were very pleased to see that focus. Secretary Bill had indicated as such a few weeks ago. But I think in many many agriculture circles across the country, folks are, are we're waiting to see this report come out. Uh, the president issued his executive order back in January on their 30 by 30 initiative to conserve 30% of land. Um, and we're waiting with bated breath for this report to come out. And certainly it is a bit light on specific details, so more still to come, but uh, we expect further stakeholder engagement, which is also great to see.
0: Yeah, what details are you most anxious to see yet?
10: So I think that falls probably into two buckets. One, how you define what is considered quote unquote conserved land. Uh, the report made a point to mention that they are moving away from the words preserve or protect uh, and focusing on conservation and conserve. Uh, but how you if you're wanting to get 30% of the land mass in the country conserved, need kind of a baseline or define how an acre would qualify as being conserved. Um, there were some details in there on how this process is going to go forward, uh, but not a whole lot of details on the actual definition of conserve in this effort. So, still looking forward uh, to more details about that and kind of passing along our thoughts. When you have you know 25, 27 million acres eligible in the CRP program and over 100 million acres in various EQIP and CSP programs, that's a lot of acreage across the country that qualify that we would think qualify as conserve. Uh, the other side that we're still looking for information is on the public land side. Uh, this report was a bit light on the public lands. It did make a point to say that, you know, we need more focus on conservation outside the West. Many times, you know, public land conservation, we focus on the West, and that makes sense when there's so much federal land in the western part of the United States, but there's so many more opportunities on private land states to improve conservation on working operations across the country. So points like multiple use, make sure uh, these public land acreage are still eligible to be followed under the rule of multiple use that the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management are required to operate their acreage under. Some of those details uh, were were a little light, and we look forward to continuing engaging with administration on those efforts as well.
9: We're
0: talking with Coleman Garrison with the National Association of Conservation Districts. So Coleman... What numbers do you use as far as where we are now? I mean, when the administration says we want to get to 30 percent of lands and waters protected, where are we now? The U.S. Geological Survey data says about 12 percent of U.S. lands are permanently protected. And there are studies showing that roughly 23 percent of ocean of water is currently strongly protected. Are those the numbers you go by or, or where are we right now? I think
10: the the USGS survey uh, where they said 12% is protected, I think that's why the the report that came out yesterday made a point to stress conservation versus protect and preserve. Um, We were concerned that some folks in the administration were using that figure. I think they are moving away from it. I think we would argue that much more than 12% is currently conserved when you look at the conservation programs just at NRCS. Uh, In addition to those conservation programs, NRCS and conservation districts on the ground have implemented over or have created over a hundred million acres worth of conservation plans uh, for farmers and ranchers to implement even without financial protection. So I'm not sure NHCD is quite at the, the percent that we think is there right now. Uh, this been an ongoing con- conversation about how you define conserve, but I think the uh, protect preserve language you'll see being used less and less. Uh, it doesn't really work with, you know, continuing to make sure that agric- agricultural operations are are in production and continue to, to support farmers and ranchers across the country.
0: So I'm sure there are going to be debates over, over this plan when we get more details and about certain lands and how they're uh, – the plan is to protect them and whether or not that conflicts with uh, some other uh, goals that people have or plans that they have so we'll get into those debates later on but I would think the area of agreement is more funding for the conservation agencies uh, the the technical work that needs to be done there's always been a shortage of that funding hasn't there
10: Absolutely. Whether it's the actual farm bill programs like EQIP and CSP, which are massively oversubscribed right now, and the report made a point to mention, as we look forward to the next farm bill, uh, that is a great opportunity to get more conservation across the country. Uh, but even outside the farm bill programs, just having the technical staff, so when a farmer enters the USDA Service Center, there's someone there to help them. Uh, so additional technical capacity at the local level in local service centers will be equally as important as... The size of the Farm Bill program funding.
0: All right. So so far so good. We'll see. We'll see as we get more details, and we'll talk then. Coleman, thank you very much.
10: Absolutely. Have a great day.
0: All right. Thank you, Coleman Garrison, director of government affairs for the National Association of Conservation Districts. So. Uh, yeah, we wait for more details, and when we get those details, I think there'll be probably more pushback on some of those as uh, this plan continues to move forward. There, The Biden administration's America the Beautiful Plan, the 30 by 30 plan, to conserve 30% of the nation's land and waters by 2030. There'll be some, uh, there'll be some pushback to some of it, no doubt, once we get more into those details, but at least so far... The uh, emphasis on voluntary conservation efforts and more funding for conservation uh, programs and personnel, uh, that's being pretty well received. Well, that wraps it up for today and for the week. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a safe weekend. Join us again on Monday right here on AOA. cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.